Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Spending Time Podcast. I have a special guest, uh, Daniel Sum. Hey, Daniel. Hey. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be having me soon. Uh, you, I am going to be your guest in Shanghai for an event that you and some of your colleagues have put together. Uh, this event is something that I'm really looking forward to, the Shanghai Watch Festival, the first one. Why don't we begin by just talking about what were you thinking that you wanted to put together a big watch event? Well, I think the main Kickstarter was um, hearing the news that Swatch had left Baselworld. And so it was, um, it was, we were talking about it, and we just uh, kicked the idea about and saying, oh, why don't we actually have a... Uh, something like this in in China, you know, because because you know SIHH and Basel World, they are situated in a very awkward time for for Chinese and and generally Asians because it's it's all around um, Chinese New Year, which is different every year. So it could be at the end of January, it could be middle of February. Generally, in January, you're not really going to go to SIHH. Unless so, you can. So did you did you then, invite yeah. the Swatch group? Did you did you ask them to come? No, we didn't. <laughs> we because well, we, we had a limited time. So in light of not being able to really do it in January, February, or March, um, and I think the news broke from Swatch. I think in the summer, right? So we thought, okay, the only time we're really going to have to do it is maybe November and December because by the time it gets to April next year, probably somebody will have done it anyway. So, so you're making it sound yeah. like it's a trade event, and that's not exactly that. So maybe you should explain a little bit more, not just what inspired you to do it, but what your goal was. Well, um, a few of my friends and I, we set up a collector group in Shanghai called Shanghai Watch Gang. And uh, just through word of mouth, really, uh, in the space of a year, it grew from uh, four people to now close to 200 people. And that's all through word of mouth. And uh, we met um, some great people along the way. And we wanted to give back to the collector. You know, we all want to meet these um, watchmakers, all the people we read about, but we never have the opportunity to do so. So it's trying to provide a platform in China to let people to meet they're, they're the people they read about. So you talk about it as though collectors are a third person, but you are a collector. Is this is this the event that you wanted to, to be at? You know, is this satisfying yeah. something that you think needed to happen? Yeah, I mean, I'm busy organizing the event, but I'm so excited about it as a collector. As a collector, I just when I when I never felt like I would ha would have this opportunity to to have all these people in one place together and be able to directly communicate with them you just feel like when you read about it in, in in the media or anywhere you just feel like it's so far away but to have them here is just amazing so do you feel that being in Shanghai you are quite detached from the watch world yeah because um, not all Western media reaches uh, China and uh, we heard <laughs> I, I have the luxury <laughs> I have the luxury of uh, being able to fly to many places around the world so and I was brought up in um, England so I'm familiar with a lot of the Western media but few of it actually has any penetration here and the the local media that does exist here I just don't think is very high quality um, so I feel that for the majority of Chinese they don't really 
I don't know really where they get their information from, apart from maybe their peers. Which so is, shows the power of the word of mouth from Shanghai Watch Gang, you see. So I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to sort of like dissect a little bit of what you're saying here. Um, you are saying that you had had unlike a lot of the people that are your neighbors and maybe your fellow watch lovers, you had the experience of being raised partially outside of China. Uh, you you brought back something with you that allowed you to appreciate watches in a different way, and it's like you want your other, your fellow collectors there to to get part of some of that experience. But I want to figure out like what that is. You know, there's something that that you saw that you know that you want other people you know in your city to know. What what is that? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, when I first came, I was actually <laughs> like I think. Watch collectors will identify with this of being particularly lonely. You know, you just move <laughs> to a new place, um, you want to make new friends, and one of your passions is watches. And <laughs> it's not that easy to find. And um, when you do find them, it, it, the, the 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 chemistry between the collectors is just amazing because it, it, you really value that person. And I feel like it's almost a good way to identify if this person's a a person worth knowing. You know, to some extent. Um, but, and, and you also yeah. judge their watch. Let's be honest. Well, I may do, but I'm a I'm a collector that collects. Uh, I'm quite eclectic. <laughs> you know, I collect uh, Langer, um, but I've also, uh, you know, got Swatch. You know, uh, Swatch uh, System 5051. Uh, 50, yeah. So put yourself put yourself a little bit in context as a collector. You mentioned Lange. You mentioned mm -hmm. you know a Swatch System 50. You know, one. These are mm -hmm. very different types of watches, but um, mm -hmm. you know. What are you What are you buying regularly? You know, because a long is expensive watch. It's a grail for a lot of people. Um, obviously, there's stuff out there that's more expensive. But tell people the the category of collector that you are, and then maybe say how you're similar or different than than your friends that are are also part of the uh, the Shanghai Watch Group. Well, I think I'm a kind of collector that really goes in for the story, right? It's the story surrounding a watch. So I think that makes a watch really special. So my collection has um, a few Seikos. So one of the Seikos, I've got the Seiko Pogue, for example. Um, obviously, I started uh, my watch collecting journey through Amiga and Rolex, so Amiga Speedmasters, um, the Seamaster, uh, the Pierce Brosnan one, and um, Rolex Datejusts, this kind of thing. Um, and then really through Shanghai Watch Gang, I realized that collectors, when they are together, they, they learn so much faster. We learn so much faster. So we get lots of information on, and really honest and true information about a particular watch or a particular brand that you don't really see on, you know, because a lot of it's marketing now. Um, so what you want to learn about are new things to like. Or are there skills as well that you're trying to learn? You know, what is it about being a collector or being a good consumer? Do you learn from other watch, uh, watch collectors? Well, um, let's just take Lange for example. So, um, in the group, I think you'll agree that generally there's so many watches, so many brands out there that it's very hard to be an expert on every single brand. But in the group, there'll be a person that is particularly in Lange. Or there'll be a particular person uh, who's got a very strong interest in um, Richard Mille or uh, Patek, for example. And you'll glean all this information from them, as in, oh, which models uh, maybe uh, are worth investing in, um, which is uh, reliable, what they actually like to wear day in, day out, 
you know, is it a heavy piece or does the does the does the strap, you know, um, dig into you or, or you know these kind of things or there is it a scratch magnet? All these kind of things that that you wouldn't know literally just by sitting in a shop for five ten minutes trying a watch on. So you're right. You you become a more well-rounded collector by understanding the experience that other collectors have with watches because they 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 do weird things to watches and with watches that you never would have thought about. Yeah, there's that, and also particular things that you wouldn't know about, uh, like a particular brand. You know, maybe they're outsourcing their movements to Voucher or uh, APRP or something like this, and then you feel, oh, you know, this particular model. You you get educated on particular oh. models. Of so you, watches. you you like the gossip. Oh, I think everybody likes gossip. <laughs> you know, there's so much gossip, and um, if you know, if you hear stories about, oh, this watch brand or this CEO or this uh, this uh, watchmaker. It, it just adds that little bit of magic, uh, you know, where you can identify with this watch maybe a little bit more. Right. Yeah. What about yeah. watches made in China? What kind yeah. of appeal or lack of appeal do they have for you and that you see in some of your colleagues? Um, I, I think... I didn't that... realize it was a hard question. <laughs> no, no, no. I was... Uh, I think uh, there's pe there's people with um, Chinese watches in the group, and I think you know I've considered them buying one as well. Um, but I, I, like I said, I'm really into the story, so it has to have a, s a significance for me to identify with the watch to buy it. Um, and in that case, I, I think I'm really just looking at uh, maybe a Seagull, um, the the five star, or um, they have an Aviator watch. Because they all they, these have stories and they have significance to me to me anyway. So, so those are the pieces I would consider. Um, generally, I think that um, I, I don't know how well they do uh, Chinese watches within the Chinese market because everybody seems to just want to buy Swiss or European. Why is that? You yeah. think? What is it? What, I mean, obviously, the whole world wants to buy European luxury goods, but you know, I think that in Europe, especially, and this is a, a, a big topic I want to get into, they don't really quite get what appears to them to be sort of a watch craziness in, in, in Asia, especially China. It's like they know the Chinese consumer likes watches and spends a certain amount of attention and money on watches that other people around the world probably don't do. But I'm not sure that many of them understand why. Maybe you can help explain that. Um, you, you're asking why Chinese buy these European luxury goods? Is that the question? Well, I guess it transformed, right? So I think the first thing is is why, what is the value in these European luxury goods, especially watches? And then maybe it, it's also in what is it about watches in the sort of larger scope of luxury goods? Because again, it's, it's the Chinese consumer around the world that is, I think according to a lot of people, keeping the industry uh, on, on its feet. And, that, and that's, that's very important. Well, uh, I think watch collecting changes uh, very quickly in China. So initially when I first came or just before I first came, um, you know, maybe a lot of watches were really going off as gifts. And let's say, you know, I was... Um, buying them to gift to other people. So in that kind of situation, I don't really care necessarily what the watch actually looks like. I 
care more about how much the watch costs and what brand it is so i can tell the person i gifted it you know or he can find out oh, how much i spent on you and this is a particular particular piece that's a really nice um, gift is that the normal amount that uh, is spent on gifts uh where you well, where you live <laughs> i think i, th- I think, I think uh, uh the gifting i'm talking about is the gifting that uh, requires favors oh that kind of gifting i see yeah that kind of gifting yeah so then afterwards um when 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 the um, president came came on came into power, the you know this kind of gifting all stopped uh, for the good. But now the Chinese consumer is really buying for themselves, and when you buy for yourself, your expectation on the product is uh, infinitely higher. Um, and then I think you know people want to buy Swiss because maybe the Swiss powerhouse of marketing is just brainwashing a lot of people into thinking you know this is the you know for, for the only place for a good watch is a swiss watch yeah you feel and you've told me this in conversations that when watch industry marketing reaches china it doesn't really you know connect with you as a consumer what, what's wrong with it the because um i feel that it, I, all the brands are pretty much European and they use a European way of expressing luxury and it doesn't necessarily translate to, to, to the Chinese um, how they feel about a particular uh, you know how a, how a watch should be as a luxury item so, so give me, give me like a common mistake and, I want to know some well, common mistakes I, I just feel that uh, I think you kind of mentioned it before that just, just now that you know the Chinese spend a lot on watches I think we all know that, but um, are they given the respect that as being like the number one consumer generally? I, I personally don't think they are, right? That's my opinion. Um, I feel that uh, many, I'm not, this is not just uh, watch brands, but many Western brands come in uh, wanting to, to make the money off the Chinese, but without showing the true respect. And I think that can be, uh, well, recently just... A perfect example is uh, D&G, um, who really messed up their ad campaign, um, you know, even as a, a Westerner. So we're talking, just so oh. everyone knows, we're, we're not talking about watch brand, we're talking about Dolce & Gabbana, uh, Italian fashion brand. Yeah, so to, to get their marketing so wrong, it's such a big company, I just feel that there's a huge disconnect uh, between what... Uh, what Chinese can accept and what they can't accept. So, so the mistake there was actually insulting the people that you were intending to persuade. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't really. The ad campaign. I, I just briefly, briefly explain it. It was just a Chinese lady who was trying to eat uh, Italian food. I think spaghetti and uh, cannelloni and the pizza with chopsticks. And there was this uh, voiceover of a person trying to teach her how to do it. Uh, it was just very condescending. Huh. Um, so some people found that very racist. Um, I just found it very confusing. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which which I think a lot of Westerners feel about most Italian fashion advertising. Yeah. So it, when when that kind of thing comes, it's like well, Chinese thing. What's this about? And then sensitivity about this kind of thing because Chinese now are probably more confident than they've ever been and they think well hang on why are we even putting up with this kind of stuff you know why are you stereotyping us 
I guess that's true. I think that in most cultures, the advertising would look like it came from the culture, whereas what you're talking about, it looks like the advertising like is for your eyes, but clearly comes from someone who is someone else. It isn't you from another country, and you're like, why aren't people here making ads for us? They know what we like. Yeah, there's that as well. And then if we go back to watches, for example, like is really luxury just making something very exclusive that you can't get? I mean, obviously, I'm sure that's a powerful tool, but just to make it more difficult, I think I personally think it has the opposite effect. You know, I won't say the particular brand, but you know, when when you're getting uh, you want to buy a particular piece, you know what you want to buy, and then you're getting forced to buy rubbish so that you can get this particular piece that you want. You know it's rubbish, they know it's rubbish, but no, actually, you know, they just want you to spend money in their place. Yeah, I mean, they might as well just be that honest about it. Can I, right? can I give so you the very is... crude rationale yeah. they have? What, what's their rationale? It's, I'm going to offend someone by saying this, but it's absolutely true. It's the idea that if you are pursuing a woman and she says no, oftentimes it makes you not only want her more, but go to greater steps to uh, earn her, achieve her, or whatnot. I guess this could be any type of, of court, you know, courtship pursuit. Um, but let, let me spin that. Let me spin that around, though, uh, Ariel. If I said to you, okay, the same, same lady says, yeah, okay, says no, but then she says to you, do you know what? I'll say yes if you buy me a Ferrari and buy me this. How do you feel? I'm sure that happens all the time. Um, you're right. It, it's it, it's it's the right amount of give or take, right? I think the brands believe that the consumer is willing to do way more chasing than the consumer is willing to do. It's like the consumer needs to do some chasing. And with watches, part of the chasing is I got to afford it. Like that's a big part of the chase. But to be able to afford it and then say, oh, but your your <laughs> your journey isn't done yet. You now have to be exposed to this. People are like, really? Wasn't affording it enough? So <laughs> I, I think that's a little bit where some of the frustration is. You're like, I, I not only learned about this product and I know about one that requires education and sophistication to appreciate and wear properly, but I'm also able to afford it. But you're telling me, no, that's not enough. You're right. I mean, that would be insulting to anyone. I, I feel that uh, the, the Chinese market is hugely segmented, right? So you've got people probably that... that uh, and each segment has a lot of people. So you have people that really know what they want. And then you have people who don't really know what they want, but maybe they have a lot of money to spend, right? I can't see in either scenario where, some, where a scenario of trying to force someone to buy something they don't want is attractive, right? Just for the sake of, of getting the piece you want. And it could be even more expensive than the piece you want, you know, maybe 10 times more expensive. So... You know, I think the brand should just be honest and say they can't push the watches out, and uh, this is the best way that they offloading their stock that can't move. Well, That's what it really is, right? Let's be honest. It, it is, but you know, in all the things you're talking about in regard to ways that you see brands treating consumers is true. But I have to say, these none of these things are are just happening in China. In fact, these things are happening probably equally everywhere. This sort of uh, what's seen as a disrespect of the consumer. I mean, here in America, we don't have. Americans really making watch ads. It's just the European ads that they that they poured over here, and they maybe people aren't insulted, but okay. they they sure as yeah. hell aren't effective. Yeah, it's, I think uh, like in terms of if we're talking on marketing, for example, like uh, 
the, what my, my understanding of how it works in China is that, you know, I'm sure people, your listeners are aware that a lot of the Western media doesn't penetrate into China, including Facebook, Google, um, Instagram, all these kind of stuff. But they do have their own social media platforms, mainly WeChat and Weibo. And uh, let me just kind of briefly summarize in that many watch brands, their HQs in Switzerland, you know, they have a local team in China, the local team has to fulfill certain KPIs, and I really have to, you really have to ask question marks on whether these KPIs are actually even effective, you know, on, 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 the, on these kind of platforms, because I don't think they are. If I, if, if my example of you, of just telling you that Shanghai Watch Gang grew from four people to, to 200 people in the space of just over a year shows you how powerful word of mouth is in getting the key people in uh, the right areas and not necessarily all this social media, which you know is all the rage now. Well, I think it shows you that people that like watches not only also want friends, but get more enjoyment out of watches when they get to chat about it in person with one another. I, I, I couldn't agree. I mean, look, I, I told you this story. I've told many other people. That's the reason I started a blog to watch is I didn't have enough friends in the real world that I could chat about watches with. If I did, I probably never would have started a blog to watch going to the Internet seeking, you know, like-minded weirdos. Yeah, it sounds a bit like my job. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh... I think there's another element in the fact that the whole Chinese the whole business in China is done on relationships. Anybody who's worked in China knows that, right? Which means that those connections between people are, I would say, more important than you would have in in, in Europe. You know, um, they are the key, the, the the foundation, the cornerstone for for building business. And uh, when somebody says like. Like I'll just give you an example. When you go, when you have a question on how to do something, I don't know, driver's license or or or, or sorting out something like a like a visa or something, yeah, you'll probably like I don't know, go on the internet and find it out, right? Find it on Google, mm -hmm. yeah. In China, your internet is your network of people. So I won't be going onto the the, the the you know Baidu or, or any of these search engines. I'll be calling my friends up straight away. I need to get this done. Do you know how to do it? Right, because there'll be infinite, probably infinite ways of actually doing the same thing, and all take different amounts of money and probably different uh, efficiencies in, in, in terms of speed. So that's the importance of having your network. So people here, when they want to buy a watch, right, they'll call me. They'll say, "Oh, Daniel, you know, I want to buy a watch. Right, who can you recommend?" So I'll be like, "Yeah, okay, you go to this person. This this person's trustworthy. You know, he can sort you out. Give you a good deal. Say it was from me. Blah blah blah. Done. It's a lot quicker, right? Then." Um, I think other places. So how do you how do you grow? You know, I think you're you're telling me that the watch collector community in Shanghai, and I guess yeah. I'm guessing other places in China, but you're you're in Shanghai, is ripe for development and growth, um, and a lot of engagement. And you know, look how look how quick we got to this number of people. Look how engaged everyone is. Uh, what do you think would be an ideal scenario of how the powers that be that make and sell watches interact with the community. You're saying that you want to do things in person. You feel that you guys had to make do it yourselves because the industry or the sales people uh, were not doing it for you. What can the industry do for you guys? I think they could actually actually think about working with uh, people like ourselves, like collector groups, and actually doing more stuff offline. 
Um, I think this is far more powerful than the stuff they're currently doing offline and also online. So what they currently do, yeah, I think you've probably been to endless amount of uh, brand dinners, which, uh, you know, I thank you to the brands for treating me, but uh, they, set, they follow the same format um, of uh, dinner, food, um, and the presentation. And then basically you're showing these watches to, to basically kind of buy, right? It's so hard to tell. Uh, I, I just don't think people, collectors work like that. And, and really, do I really need a presentation on your watch when I can get that information anywhere else? I don't have to be there to, to do that. And I'll be honest, like food in Shanghai, there's plenty of it. I don't necessarily need a good feeding either, right? So why am I there? I'm there for to meet other people who have the same passion of me, the same values as me, right? And we've taken that away with Shanghai Watch Gang from that from that commercial setting because we're not selling you anything, right? We're just hanging out. Um, and I think brands should should do more of that with collector groups. Uh, one in actually understanding their collectors and how that filters out all the way down, like in a pyramid way, to to uh, watch enthusiasts and entry-level uh, watch collectors, um, and also know more about the market. Um, I think this is just far more valuable. No, it's interesting what you're saying. I mean, I think it can be interpreted as a, a lot of work uh, for the brands, and these are companies that you know are barely able to meet their production schedules, and then you're like, you guys have to do a bunch of other things now. I I think that you're 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 absolutely correct that that stuff would all be beneficial. Um, I don't know, you know, just being pragmatic as, as someone who's very like-minded to you, but just a different part of the world. The brands are ever going to step up and create those experiences, but you can show them how to do it better. You're right; those dinners they get they get boring because they're formulaic, and the first like five times you go, it's cool, and after that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I still want to do watch stuff. The brands need to understand that people want to have fun experiences, they want to hang out with friends, and that doing that um, puts them in the mood to not only be open-minded to new stuff, it makes them want to buy things. And I think I, th I think you know yeah, what I mean. I think it needs to be more experiential. Experiential. So, um, yeah, you do it with your friends. Um, it's not just the same thing of you know putting a watch on a watch tray and showing you it. Like it needs to be more than that. Like it needs to be more lifestyle. Like how do I attach this brand with a particular lifestyle and how does it, you know, benefit me? You know, I think that's where watches should be heading. So, so I mean, what is your lifestyle? They, Describe it. Uh, well, so the brands um, know, I mean, they, you know, we, you're part of a category. So tell, tell, yeah, okay, help so, explain that category. Okay. So I would uh, travel a lot. I like going to places. So when I, when a bunch of us get together, we, we, we sometimes hang out in Shanghai, we sometimes don't. We travel around the country and we might travel internationally just for the weekend to, to have some fun. Um, when we have some fun, it could be, you know, smoking shisha, chilling out with friends, drinking, um, maybe some nice ladies may be involved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we might go and watch like Formula One or, or, or like racing. Um, we we go clubbing. I think. So what I'm hearing is the lifestyle yeah. of a healthy, active young man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. There you go. That likes right? to have but fun. We don't, we don't, with his that friend. doesn't really fit into toys. how 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 that you know that top high class watch brand marketing image of 
passing your watch down to your next generation. I mean, we're not even there yet, so it's not something that I think about, right? Um, well, I think I think uh, the problem is is there's not a lot of I'll call them big name brands that are getting the marketing to your demographic done right. And you're feeling this sort of like deficit. So there's plenty of watches that you like out there, but like you're finding it difficult to connect with any one mainstream brand. And you find it a lot more easy to connect with these uh, independent brands. Yet the problem is there's such a few number of people out there in the world that know about it. So they have to be part of this very niche lifestyle for you to be able to celebrate your lifestyle. Uh, I, I agree with people. that completely. Yeah. I agree with that completely. So since the Shanghai Watch Gang, I, I had the trouble buying watches because... Uh, I was seeing so many watches and feeling so many watches and working with uh, certain brands that it, it certainly for someone like me who mainly buys for story, you, you lose the magic, right, for sure. And uh, I've picked like Langer because I actually feel it's more discreet. You know, it, it's not a, a brand that, you know, if you can afford this, most people will go and buy Patek, um, which are also very, very great pieces. It's just that the Pateks I want are just totally out of my price range right now. <laughs> Welcome to the but, club. <laughs> but uh, Langer, you know, is a low production. Uh, the finishing and everything is right there. It, I just think it's great. So that's I mean, why I, I, mean, look, I went I think there eventually. Probably anyone listening to this podcast that knows Longe is, is not going to be like, not Longe, how dare you? Like, everyone agrees with you. That's... That's a, you know, but it's not subtle. That's a funny thing. It is subtle to everyone else, but when you're in a room with a watch person and you have a longe, that just screams that you might as well be wearing like a, a glowing uh, gold watch. Well, I, that may be the case, but uh, trust me, that's not the case in Shanghai Watch Gang. <laughs> really? So, so it's under yeah. the radar there. Totally, yeah. Like you see, you see a myriad of watch pieces, and uh, I just want to get it out there. Shanghai Watch Kang is not just a rich boys, like crazy rich Asian kind of uh, boys club. It's not that. But if you right? are, yeah. if you are a rich person, they will accept you. They're not going to discriminate. Yeah, just likewise, if you, <laughs> if you're economically not that, uh, you know, not that level, then. We also accept you, you know. I, I find interest in all the watch pieces, and I think as a watch collector, uh, I want to be more holistic and more be able to appreciate certain things at certain price points and why they're good at certain price points. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, the Seiko Presage line, for example. You know, yeah, it's, I, you know, it's, I, it's I like a good G-Shock myself, you know. Okay, so I think, you... you know, a lot of us have G-Shocks, so. I do. I do as well, and I... I... I think that you're onto something here, but so this is the problem that we need to solve, and I don't know that we're going to do it in this conversation, but this is the problem. I heard this from a lot of people that start to go to these collectors' events. They walk away sometimes feeling a little bit resentful, and what they say is like, "Well, you know, I don't. Not everyone has to have money." And sometimes, like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Oh, all those people they can afford so much stuff," and I'm like. Not all those people have that much money, and he's like, "Well, they all look like they do, or are trying to, you know, trying to sh show off." And there's a sort of show-offness that com that comes with, you know, having and showing off expensive stuff. How do we get around that? How can you go in there with something cool, but there doesn't necessarily need to be this wall uh, where people feel like, "Oh, well, I can't go and have that conversation. I can't afford that." You know what I mean? Because, How do we yeah, bring down yeah, the pretense? Uh, well. I think you actually have to show interest in their timepieces. Whoever comes in, new or regular, whatever they're wearing, 
they're wearing it for a reason. They bought that watch for a reason. You know, what is their story behind that watch? And you have to show interest in that. You can't just show interest in these hot pieces uh, because they're, you know, great. I mean, everybody, obviously, you know, they're, they're hard to see. Fair enough, right? But every person buys because maybe there's a personal story that made them buy that piece. And it, it's not really related to money, you know? Um, and the magic in watch collecting is like, a friend of mine says this thing, and I, I really agree with it. Watches are actually, you know, just pieces of metal. You know, it's people that give them stories, people that give them character, people give them that persona. And it's the people that are interesting. The watches are just a tool in, the, in, the, in that way, you know, to highlight your taste, but they're a reflection of you. And uh, I think if you focus just on the, uh, you know, the RMs, the Pateks, uh, all these high-end piece APs, then, yeah, you're going to lose that particular group but that group you can never dismiss them because maybe one day they will get to Patek they maybe will they get a they may get an AP they may they might not you know, it's totally up to them but everybody's watch journey started somewhere right and I'm pretty sure that most people didn't start off an AP and, and Patek right they started on a more of an entry-level brand like Seiko or something like that, which great make also great watches so um to, to kind of disregard what you went through just because you're at a certain level it, it's it's um, not the kind of person I would aspire to be well, I'm going to have a sort of similar gripe there. And there's those people that come to the hobby with money and they try to shortcut the road to learning about watches by being like, hey, what should I buy? They just ask people what to buy. And I'm like, that seems kind of not not unfair. It just seems like they're really like losing out. Because if you just come in and you try to take a shortcut and you don't go through that process, that the stepping stones, I agree. So I think you and I both agree that – you have to sort of earn the ability to understand certain watches because it doesn't come overnight. Like there's just layers and layers of this is why this is a good watch. And when people try to not take that that part seriously, it can be difficult to have a conversation with them. Well, I, I agree with that point, you know, totally because uh, you can spend a lot on a watch, but it's embarrassing if you can't even explain why you spent that much money on that watch, why it was so good, why it was so worth it, you know. Uh, if I spend less on the watch, but I know everything about the watch, I know why I bought it, I had to source it, every, all this kind of stuff, I think it holds more credibility amongst the watch collector group anyway. not you know, I don't know about other groups, but in, certainly in the watch collector group, you should know why you're buying. You should know, you know. And, but then again, when you have a, a large group of males that are you know, uh, buying all these expensive pieces, I would say it's also very easy to get kind of lost in the game in getting a new piece, getting a new piece, and you're forgetting actually why you're getting the piece in the, why you start collecting watches in the first Does place. Does that happen to you? Not, not to me, no. But I'm sure to certain other people, you know, they kind of might, uh, like you say, spend less time actually thinking about what they want and thinking what maybe other people want them to wear, you know, or want them to be seen in. Well, we want to, you know, we want, we're, we're, we're a pleasing uh, species and we want to make people around us happy. I think that it's easier to learn what the watches that are part of the conversation are than to actually go through all the watches out there like someone like I try to do and try to determine like what is the best and what is the most interesting like that's an awful lot of work it's easier to try to listen to what I'm talking about than try to make the evaluation on your own um, true yeah <laughs> so which I is, think um, you know what I mean which it's, is like yeah, yeah. Which I think in, in like for something like Shanghai Watch Festival, it's great. We've got like 
over 200 people coming on the first day all you know some are flying in you know we never knew the support would be so so great of people actually flying in from asia to shanghai to see where are they coming from uh, name some of the places we've got uh turkey okay. we've got greece we've got vancouver we've got uh sydney we've got um melbourne we've got uh singapore hong kong um yeah these places what about malaysia Okay, so other than Malaysia and Hong Kong, what other places in Asia are people coming from outside of China? Singapore. Singapore. Um, and Korea. Korea, we have a few. So let me let me uh, ask you. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, and and I want to know sort of the way you perceive it. I think in the West, at least for me, I don't. We don't sort of group together like all of Asia is having one taste. I'm like, Japan has one type of taste, China has one type of taste, uh, you know, Thailand has a type of taste, Korea has a type of taste. Do you, do you guys also segment it and say, oh, you know, in that country they like it a little bit different than us? Or do you feel that there's sort of like a, a similar taste around the entire area? I think there's similar tastes, to be honest, because, um, like I said, we all travel around. So uh, a lot of these collectors are mainly, you know, they're not based out of one city. Right. Um, and what I will say is, like, maybe Japan has that um, that that persona of of, you know, when you buy a piece in Japan, it's just an amazing kept, you know, well kept. You know, it looks like new old stock all the time, and people really take care of their. Their pieces there. Yeah, I love so that. So that, there's that. that there's that <laughs> element that I think everybody knows about Japan. I think you know that falls hand in hand with their culture. Um, but in terms of you know Singaporeans or whatever, I, I don't think it really um, is a there's differing tastes. Interesting. I so, don't think that's why people are converging. You know because they they you know I think at the end of the day, Orientals, Asians are very different to Europeans, and with the way we communicate, way way we build relationships is also very different. And the Shanghai Watch, uh, Watch Festival is a perfect platform to aggregate all these Asian communities, Asian collectors, to one place where, to be fair, it's not that, that far for them to travel. And they get to meet like-minded Asians. What do you want to have as a result of this event? What do you want people, what do you want them to like want or have learned or a combination thereof after they come to the festival? Well, I'd like to expose like watch collecting culture to um, the, the larger number of Chinese. You know, why is this hobby particularly special to me? And I want I would like to translate that that message to to um, more Chinese people <clears throat> and get them on the watch collecting journey. And for another message, I'd like the brands to really sit up and notice what. Uh, was actually happening in Asia, you know, because most of the HQs in in Switzerland, in in, in Europe, um, you know, we're putting up hand up and saying, you know, we're here to help the brands as well, um, communicate their message to the local Chinese um, uh, effectively, but also there to we're just always, we're just here to help, really, like connect the collector, Asian collector, with watches and watch brands. Cool. Okay. So, Daniel, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, the event is the Shanghai Watch Festival. It is December 8th and 9th uh, in Shanghai. Daniel, where can people go to get more information about it? 
well, it just shows really how China is. I mean, we'll have a website up very soon, so people can uh, read more information on that. But everything else, uh, Instagram um, and through um, WeChat, um, that's, those are the ways you're going to find out about it. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank everyone, you very much. I will, I will be there at the Shanghai Watch Festival. Daniel, I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, I really look forward to seeing you and catching up too.